My name is Mike Shepard. I'm a producer. I want to get to know the artists in my new community. This is A Thousand Meals with a Thousand Artists. Hey, I'm Andrew Brannon. I'm 27 years old on the outside, seven years old on the inside, and I'm an independent filmmaker that produces both documentary and narrative projects. This was my first ever conversation with Andrew. I did see his feature film that we talk about quite a bit on this episode. And I didn't get a chance to speak to him, unfortunately, after um, the, the screening. But uh, a mutual uh, friend of ours, Ben, introduced us, uh, said that this would be a really good connection. And I'm really glad he did because I think one of the really cool things about having this conversation with Andrew was seeing the behind the scenes stuff that I like so much in film come through him talking about the process, especially the casting and getting, getting his feature up on its feet and what kind of stopped him from doing it for so long. And then what kind of motivated him to finally uh, do his feature film. This was a really lovely conversation. I, I really like, obviously I like connecting uh, with artists. I was about to just say, I like talking to artists. Well, obviously, because I'm doing this. But I think these are the conversations that remind me why I'm spending the time and the resources and the energy to do this. It's because getting that inside look into what drives an artist is really at the core why I'm doing this. I love doing the podcast aspect of it. I like putting podcasts out, gives us some really cool things to talk about on social media, ways to connect with people. I know there's listeners out there, you're enjoying it, you love hearing it. But at the end of the day, this is all about research. Me as a producer, trying to meet artists in this way, in a more organic setting, food in front of us, less formal, not an interview, not we're working on a project already, we're stuck together, now we got to make this work. It's this way to just be able to ask honest questions and have them answered. And if there's one thing I'll say about this conversation is Andrew was really open. He was willing to talk about a whole variety of things, including his time uh, in film school, his time working on YouTube projects, what made him move away from that, but also what he misses about that and why he wants to go back and the opportunities it gives for his personality to come through. Um, it was a really lovely conversation and a fantastic meal. We were at Moe's Barbecue. Now, I, I hadn't heard about this place. Again, very much new to Ottawa, so I, I don't know all, all the great places. This is in the kind of South Keys area of Ottawa. If you want barbecue, go here. <laughs> it's so good. It's so fresh and, and well well cut pieces of meat, and everything is very, very tasty. It was such an easy, light but perfect meal. It was a great lunch spot. Um, I'm really glad he suggested it. And clearly it was something that, uh, that he, he felt 
was important to him for whatever reason, either they're just being amazing barbecue or a very favorite spot. Um, I'm glad I got an opportunity uh, to try Mo's barbecue. Our conversation really revolved a lot around the filmmaking process, how everything went together in creating his feature. He just debuted it only a month or two ago. Um, and I was glad I had a chance to see it at the Mayfair Theater. Andrew and I really did bond over our experiences, both in school and out, putting together productions and events, um, and some of the really great crossovers you see in different art forms, whether that be theater to screen and some of the similarities that those have. I hope you enjoy our conversation as I did, as Andrew and I shared some barbecue at Moe's Barbecue in the South Keys area of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. That was your first ever feature from what you were saying about oh, yeah. you okay for sure but you had done other things before like what were you doing in short films film competitions i had done quite a few things before most of them were at my day job so if you want to break it down i would say you know i started out just making random videos in my room as like a teenager whatever um gained an interest for filmmaking through high school tech classes i got a lot of encouragement from my high school teacher Went to college, learned about the filmmaking process right. and the like, live television process was part of my program. Met my wife, which was probably the best thing that I got out of college, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a year out of college, I got hired at Extreme Wine Productions. And there, I've been working there the past uh, five, six years at this point. And so we mostly do a lot of corporate and documentary style productions. So I kind of honed my craft in filmmaking through these past five years right. and learning off of other people um, at the company, gaining uh, different assets to my skill set from their encouragement, from my boss, Adam, who I would say is a mentor to me and other people at the company. And then eventually I got, I guess I would say I just got antsy to do so- something that was more creative. Right. And so I dabbled in some some YouTube content for a year or so. And I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. But what I really want is to be able to watch and listen to people view what I'm producing. Mm -hmm. So I started getting involved with the Ottawa Kino film festival. I've submitted there a couple of times and that's really fun and engaging to watch people watch what I've made. My interest level in short films is fairly low. You know, I feel like the short films as an art is kind of, I wouldn't say dead, but it's transformed Mm -hmm. into like, YouTube and TikTok content. Okay. So I wouldn't say it's like short films today are the same as they were like 20 or 30 years ago. And And that's just not something you're interested in? Like YouTube, TikTok, those kinds of platforms? Yeah, because I feel like they're so short-lived. Right. Like a a feature film, people will, you know, if it's good, we'll we'll talk about for years to come. (laughs) If it's bad, they'll forget about it in five minutes. (laughs) Exactly. And that actually ties into, you know, my mindset for my first feature I had a real mental block over feature filmmaking for a long time just the attitude of like oh I can't do that or I have to wait till someone comes to me and gives me the opportunity or gives me the money or gives me the script and I just sat on ideas for years thinking like I'll crack one of these open eventually and then finally I was like you know what now's now's just the time I just have to dive into it Hmm. and not think about how much it's going to cost or not think about the feasibility. I said when I started the process of yeah. Copy to Cocktails, yeah. I don't care if I have to, I don't know if I'll film this on my phone or on a cinema camera. I don't know if I'll get to cast it or act in all the parts. I don't know if this will go on streaming or on a VHS tape, but it's going to get finished. 
I'm not going to let this mental block stand in my way anymore. It's just, it's going to be something that I can complete and say that I did it and be able to move on to the next thing. Can I ask you where you think that mental block came from? Well, a big part of my college education was the discussion around how to fund an independent feature film. Okay. And in fact, I wrote like a thesis paper on that that was like dozens and dozens of pages as uh, one of my projects about the different ways to fund an independent film. I interviewed some industry professionals and I talked about you know crowdfunding and all that. And so that was a big that was a big wall that seemed like it was put in front of us in our minds yes. being like you have to have yeah. an outside entity give you money to be able to do something <laughs> like this and i'm like okay well guess i'll just wait until they give me money then and then eventually really familiar i was like no one's giving me money yeah i don't yeah. think this is gonna I, just fall in my lap here i gotta make something happen my background is theater right yeah so stage theater production that's what i went to school for and that was similar yeah, yeah. <laughs> this idea of like well a company will will hire you and then you will create get to create theater um i did happen to go to a school where we were lucky where it was kind of part of the atmosphere to create your own theater company and develop your own process and experiment in that way so it was kind of nice that we had those influences around us but i that what you're saying sounds so familiar to what we were taught and then you suddenly learn like well people aren't just going to give you those things like you can't just wait around for it all the time part of it too is like they encourage you to like play the game, work your way up and network and start out. Like this is what they say in college. They, they say like, you know, start out PA, mm. you know, volunteer to be a PA and you're like the lowest rung on the ladder and work your way up. Right. But I'm a lazy person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to, to start, you know, and I think it, it also has to do with your expectations of yourself and sure. your own work. Sure. Because some people go into filmmaking and they're like, I want to be a famous director and I right. want my movies right. to be seen around the world. Yeah. And I operated under that for many years. And I was like, someday, someday I'm going to get my stuff seen around the world. And then I was like, well, should that be my end goal? Or if I'm in filmmaking, shouldn't my end goal just be to make films? And then that changed my round of thinking to be like, well, that I can do. Yeah. I don't need a budget or a cast to do that. I can just make stuff in my apartment. Yeah. It's probably going to be better and more entertaining if more people get involved. Sure. But the end goal is just to make stuff no matter the budget. And as soon as I changed that thinking around, I was like, okay, it's time. Let's go. Yes. Let's just dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's definitely something that I can relate to and is something that I've, I've done myself. I, I, in my 20s, I ran a theater company back in Kingston where I was from. I went to Queens University for theater. So I ran a theater company, ran it outside of school for a very long time. And I think it also, even doing this now, came from kind of that same thing. It's like, I'm not really going to wait around anymore. I'm just going to do and see what kind of comes of it. And you're, you're bringing up a lot of good points about financial and the time and other people and how to get involved and getting people involved. And I, from watching your feature, I mean, you had, you had a, great size cast the location was great like you clearly found all those things was that easy difficult like did people come out of nowhere that or did you know everyone beforehand like how did that kind of come together it was i would say it was a lot easier than i thought it was going to be mm. which was part of this whole shift in in my line of thinking which is like i had never cast anyone before in anything that i've made i directed one thing in college, a short film, right. and I wasn't able to be part of the casting process because the producer scheduled auditions on a day when I was working. So the producer cast yep. without you? Yeah. That's 
He was a director. That was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, it was very um, lame. That's really lame. <laughs> so I had no idea what the casting process was really like. And right, right. Um, my my friend, coworker, and collaborator, uh, Tom Peters, mm. uh, he was like, I can help you out with that. And he hooked me up with some Facebook groups. He made up a casting notice, just put it out there. And then people started sending in like requests to audition. And I was like, wow, that was fast. That was easy. You know, I didn't have to contact like a casting agent mm -hmm. or or whatever people just want to be a part of things yeah so that that was probably the biggest uh step outside my comfort zone yeah. during this whole process is like over the past five years i've done a lot of work with cameras and sound and editing and i knew that that would help a lot in my production on my first feature because i was doing a lot of that myself with help but casting i had never done before yeah and and meeting with people and offering them the parts and asking them questions like that made me feel really uncomfortable to do that. But I'm so glad really? that, that I went through the process yeah. and now I'm like, yeah, it actually wasn't, yeah. wasn't that bad at all. I, 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 again, I, I can relate. Um, and mainly coming again from the theater world, there's just so many people out there who want to be part of cool things. Mm -hmm. and, and whether it be films or theater productions or what have you, like they, they want to one get their name out there, but also a lot of people, go in, especially in the acting side, because that's kind of where I started, go in with the attitude of, I want to take everything because that's the only way I'm going to get better, is work with new people. Working at uh, this production company, um, you meet a lot of people very formally. You know, like, hey, hi, you're the client and I'm here yeah. to serve you, but yeah. it's, you know, you don't get on that friendly level. So it's sort of, it's a curse in that way that it's, it's hard to network because you're in that and out so fast. But it was a blessing because once I felt like I was ready to make a feature, all I had to do was look at my coworkers, who some of which I worked for for like four or five years, been on set with multiple times for hours and hours at a time. I'm like, there's my crew. I know I can rely on them. I know what, like, we started not as friends, but we started as video professionals. Right. So even though we are friends, we have a great working relationship already. And that is so much of what helps Coffee to Cocktails get complete as a film was just knowing that I could rely on people and that yeah. they would be yeah. fairly professional on set. Yeah. No. And that's, that's important. It, like it is like, no matter what the atmosphere you create on your sets, I, I imagine it would be important. Same with theater, the rehearsal room, the, the stage, like the way everyone relates to each other is really important. And that professional go get them. We're all on this together. Kind of attitude is I think really crucial. The people I've met so far in Ottawa who are like really eager to work with me, are in film for whatever reason. It just seems to be the the direction of of people. Whereas you know, meeting I've been slower at meeting the theater community, but they've been a little more standoffish. <laughs> I'll admit so far, it's been a little than like protective. I think of what they have. Yeah. Well, I would love to dive more into the theater, you know, the theater community and experience, and find like the perfect middle ground between video production and theater. Because in high school, I was a stage manager. For, uh, for a play that we did, um, part of the CAPI's uh, program, which is like, I can't remember the exact details, but basically it's a program that multiple schools participate in. Oh. They each put on a play, and then each school will send a reviewer from their school to another school to oh. review it, and yeah. then I think there's like winners or something. We had something similar. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, w I was a stage manager for that, and that was an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah. And just the, um, the anticipation on show night of like being behind uh you know behind the curtain and like preparing everything getting last minute adjustments was like electric yeah you know and i really loved that experience and so uh and i hadn't been to a play like since then 
But this past winter, I went to Shaw Festival in Niagara and we saw White Christmas. Mm. And that was like, I was locked into that experience, yeah. totally engaged. I was yeah. like, this is wonderful. Yeah. I would love to be a part of this experience, even if it had nothing to do with video production. Yeah, you know, yeah. Find a way to be a part of this. I and I, I loved that idea of that mix. I like mixing up arts. Never just doing one thing like that's multidisciplinary. Get different things in there because I think it makes for those immersive experiences. Yeah. The um, the guy who did uh, some of the music for Coffee to Cocktails, he's also uh, a DJ and a VJ. And so one of the things that he does is he'll have these projectors and he'll go into, I don't know, like a club or somewhere where a party's happening, and he'll set up objects and have projections uh, go onto the objects that like wrap around and look three dimensional, and oh, he'll animate cool. it. He'll animate it to the music as it's going, and that's that. That's the best example of mixing <laughs> mediums that uh, that I've seen. I would I would have no idea even how to begin doing that. Like that's so out of. I appreciate music and tech stuff, but I, it's uh, that stuff's over my head. I know a little bit about theater stuff, going to school, and a little bit about the tech side of theater enough to understand it to know what I'm kind of asking for, or looking at. But to create those different things, I don't know how people do it. My program was BRTF, Broadcasting, Radio, Television, and Film. Oh, okay. Three-year program. So basically the first year you do radio, television, and film. The second year you essentially do two of those. And then the third year you specialize in one. Oh, okay. So someone like me, I came in knowing that I wanted to go into filmmaking, pretty certain it was going to be directing. But someone like my wife, Hannah, who helped me produce the film and yeah. did a lot of other stuff on it, she came with the intention that, well, she almost went into acting, but at like, I want to say the last second she switched into BRTF thinking like, oh, maybe I'll be like a radio person or, or like an on-camera host or something. Yeah. And then halfway through, she was maybe like, well, film's pretty cool, but like, maybe I want to work in TV instead. And then like towards the end, she was like, no, I think, I think film is where I'm meant to be. Yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting how, you know, once you're in the thick of it, Actually, I don't want to do that. This is more so what I want. <laughs> well, and you're so young when you're making these decisions. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, I remember going to university 18, 19. I was a young 18, 19. Like, I hadn't, like, really experienced the world. Like, I was very, very naive, very, very young. And if it wasn't for running a theater company at the same time, which I ended up running for about 12 years, I probably wouldn't have gotten as much out of school. Like, and it was funny thing you said before that the best thing coming out of college is meeting your wife. I think the connections I made at school were really the things I remember the most. I was fine with school, but I'm not very academically strong. So to me, it was, I was running this theater company. School is a byproduct of that and helping me meet people. And if it wasn't for that aspect of it, I, I don't think I'd have fond memories at all. Because I'm, yeah. I'm not academically driven. I just, yeah. I can't sit down and write a thesis and an essay like how the people That's hard for me too, yeah. I just can't do it. I like I being a hands-on That's not my kind of learning. It just isn't. I'm, I need to be yeah. doing things. I need, uh, the only reason why I think I'm pretty good at grant writing, marketing, producing theater is because I struggled with it for 12 years. Had successes, had failures, and that's the only reason why I'm good Learned at it. Learned your workflows. Yeah, 100%. And the real world and a textbook are two very different things. Yeah. <laughs> Niagara College provided a lot of, of hands-on stuff, but and it was fun. I don't regret those years. There was certainly a lot of interpersonal drama with massive egos. But I'm always putting heads. <laughs> I could tell um, stories. <laughs> yeah, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't take back any of that. They and they they certainly helped you learn at least in the film stream, like what kind of professionalism you're supposed to have on set. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. miss the mark on that yes. in practice. Um, 
but uh, like the workflows that you're that you're meant to follow, as opposed to working at Extremeline for the past five or six years, I've learned a lot more practical skills, especially in editing, and that created a little bit of a a difference of workflow when I brought Extremeline people to do a narrative style right project because at Extremeline we're so used to getting into the space, setting up cameras ASAP. Yeah rolling ASAP, getting what you need in a short amount of time and then getting out yeah, of there. Yeah. Whereas films are typically made super slowly. Yeah. You get there, you got a couple hours to set up, set up lighting, take light meter readings and all that. And then you have a certain workflow that you go through for uh, for running the camera and all that. And I had to kind of remind some of the Extremeline people like, hey, it's we're not just like rolling when the spirit moves you. It's like, you know, the AD says quiet on set, turnover, Sound says sound speeding, camera says camera rolling, you know, AD slates it, clack, action. And that's not something that some of us were used to doing, at least not in a long time. So there were a couple moments where, like, you know, we were ready for turnover, and I realized that the camera operator had been rolling for, like, a minute or two. And I was like, okay, we're wasting some gigabytes here. Yeah, yeah. You know? I know we talked about it a little bit, but do you see yourself in, in projects and things about thinking about other arts and other creators and collaboration and what that could look like for you on the film side? Like, do I see myself collaborating with other kinds of artists and other mediums? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it, well, more so if that's of in, like what kind of your interest level is for that more so. You can see yourself doing it or not doing it, but if the interest is there, someone came to you and said, oh, I have a really interesting idea and it did speak to you, would yeah. the would those elements be interesting to add different things to it? Well, I, I have tried to train myself really hard the last few years to a decade to be more of a yes man. You know, if someone knocks on my door to come out and play, just to be like, you know what, maybe I was in the middle of something, but let's do it. Let's, let's see what you got, <laughs> you know? So I, I would relish the opportunity to work on different kinds of productions, different work through different mediums, work with different uh, people, because I always enjoy when I look at someone's Wikipedia page, and it's like, this person is, uh, you know, a director, and actor, and podcaster, and like, blah, 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 I'm yeah, like, yeah. that sounds like that person's having a lot of fun, yeah, yeah. Doing, a lot of, doing a lot of different things, so I, I welcome whatever, you know, who, whoever and whatever is going to come uh, knocking at my door, so to speak, and by that I mean, like, who I just end up networking with, yeah. and and I also relish the opportunity to stoke the flames of other people's ideas, yeah. you know. And I know much the same as many other people how how good it feels to tell somebody your idea and yeah. have them be like, "Oh, that's awesome! You should do it," versus telling someone your idea and then being like, "Hmm, I don't, I don't think I really get it. It's not speaking <laughs> to me." And it's like, "Oh, I guess I'll just put that on the shelf and let it collect." <laughs> I, yes, like you, you get I've deflated that, that fast. Yeah. You know, I, that's the thing. I being a producer and being someone who knows how to raise money, knows how to find it. Like you, I have people pitching me ideas all the time, and sometimes I have found myself. Now I'm gonna think twice before I speak. I have found myself saying those things. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I get it, <laughs> and trying to. But I always try to work through it. Okay, let's reframe it or let's try to explain it in a way that like, kind of my brain can get around it. But yeah, you're saying interesting things that it's so funny. Because I, I'm kind of doing the same thing as I got here. Like I'm, everything that I'm working on right now kind of came from people and saying yes and just being like, oh, let's just dive into it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. But that, that's armed with, I don't, I don't even know how old I am right now off the top of my head. But like, almost 15 years of experience doing it, 
and learning that saying no is really restricting. <laughs> like it just really doesn't bring anything where saying yes and even failing brings me more. So I think if you come to that attitude younger, good for you. Because uh, it took me a very long time to say, you know, I, I should start saying yes more, even if I'm uncertain, even if I'm not sure. Through the process, I often figure out the questions that I I, I get it a little bit more. Right. Well, and then everything in moderation as well. You should know your limits, know not to take too much on. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not good with that yet, but I'm getting that. Yeah. At a, at a certain <laughs> point, you have to you have to decide, like, I can't take on everything. So maybe some things I won't necessarily say no to, but I'll say, that sounds great. You can go ahead without me. Or like, maybe we'll put a pin in that Yeah. because avoiding burnout is also yeah. a huge oh, thing. Yeah. Well, I, as I said, I've been through it. Like that's what I, I have exactly. a gap yeah. in my arts time because in 2018, I essentially burnt out yeah. and I needed to take time. Now I think sometimes things do happen and it works out. If I hadn't gone into social media marketing at the time, I probably wouldn't have gotten through the pandemic as well as I did because everyone needed social media. So it kind of time-wise ended up working, but I missed the arts really fast. And there's part of me that had wished I'd developed some of the tools I use now to avoid burnout back then so I could have kept going as opposed to stepping away. But clearly I needed it because I needed the time to step back, take time for myself, kind of get back to it. And it's it's just I have found like I've been going, kind of walking uphill since then trying to get back to where where i was yeah. which has been a challenge you can lose some momentum for sure but it also being able to step back take that perspective helps remind you of like maybe why you got into it in the first place it's true you know and then it that can help direct you in a better direction of the same thing than you were heading towards before you know like oh well, i was doing youtube for a couple months before i started production on the, on the film and I was like, I can't do both at the same time. I'm already still working my day job. And so I took time off of YouTube. And now that I've had that time away, I'm like, I'm rethinking, you know, I'd still like to go back and do some YouTube stuff, but in a, in a different way because it was starting to get stale. It was starting to get boring. And it was supposed to start out as something creative and something fulfilling in my free time. But it became an obligation. It became like a chore. Hmm. You know, yeah. so now that I've had months away from it, I'm like, I think I can dive back in, but reformat my attitude so that it feels a little more fulfilling. Where Where are you right now in the process of either making another feature or doing the more creative stuff? I know you mentioned the YouTube, but is there anything else that you're thinking about now being like, well, in the next year or two, I'd love to start another feature, for example. In terms of things that you'll see me doing consistently, I try to be very consistent about doing our podcast. Yeah. So, you know, at most we'll post every two weeks. Sometimes it's once a month, depending on how busy I am with other stuff. So that's something that I'm, I plan to keep doing and doing more of and in bigger ways in the future. As far as uh, feature films go, I'm in a place right now where I would love to do some smaller roles on other people's shorts yeah. and make connections that way and hone my skill set a bit more while in the background um, writing and fleshing out ideas for, for my features going forward. I have at least two ideas for features that I mostly beat out the full um, synopsis of. Uh, I haven't started writing a script yet or anything, but that's by design yeah. because the methodology that I went into coffee to cocktails with was like, let's make this fast. Let's make it quick and dirty. It's not going to be, like I said, it's not going to be my magnum opus. It's probably not going to make waves. It's not going to be my ticket to stardom, 
we're just going to make it to have fun and learn a lot. And so Coffee to Cocktails was a 100-page script that I wrote in six days. Mm. And I wrote about 15 pages a day, which is crazy, but it's all dialogue-based, so there wasn't any you know, uh, ridiculous scene actions or like action scenes to plot out or whatever. And then I wrote maybe one or two small rewrites, and then I was like, okay, let's go into production. And Coffee to Cocktails, on the whole, was very deadline-based. I was like, I want to finish the script by the end of this week. I want to finish filming by this date. No one's like saying, hey, the clock is ticking. You have to finish filming. But like, it's a self-imposed deadline. Yeah, yeah. I want to make sure that the filming gets finished so it doesn't become one of those projects that everyone's super excited for in pre-production, and then it just dies. Yeah, and never, which happens, never happens. a yes. lot. Totally. <laughs> and then once we once I got into editing, I was like, I'm booking the theater date for the screening. It has to be done by then. No ifs, ands, or buts. And it got finished in about you know start to finish about six or seven months. The whole movie. Yeah. So for my next project. I want to take my time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm like, I've done the thing where I wrote the script in six days. Now I want to, I want to think through ideas, talk to people about them, write a draft, sit on it for a bit, show people, flesh it out, do a couple of rewrites. You know, I don't want to take forever, but I want to, I want to relax a little. Bit. Yeah. Because Coffee the Cocktails yeah. was very stressful, sure only was. because. I had so so many self-imposed deadlines. Yes, yeah. so, and you were doing the, like that's a very fast turnaround. Like you were doing things very quickly. In, in um, addition to working an extreme line right. during the day, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully during shooting during the month of shooting, I had reduced hours at extreme line, which helped a lot yeah. with flexibility and scheduling. Yeah. During editing, while I was editing Coffee to Cocktails, I was also working on all of contractor Ryan Branton's. Uh, stuff for YouTube, yeah, like yeah. documentary series, basically. So I, I was juggling a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so being able to take my time in in my next project is very important to me. But I'm very excited about it because Coffee and Cocktails was definitely a starter movie. You know, one location, mm-hmm. only a few actors, nothing too complicated. What I have in my head for my next project or two is more so the kind of movie that I would want to see. Watching Coffee to Cocktails in the theater, I'll say this much. It wasn't as painful as a process as watching some of my short films that I've premiered at Kino with a crowd. Really? The difference was those were meant to be funny. Those were meant to be comedic. And so when when a moment happened in those shorts that I thought was funny and was meant to get a laugh and it didn't get a laugh, it's like my face, like the blood drains out of my face and I sink into my chair and I'm like, oh... Okay, I guess that wasn't that funny. But Coffee to Cocktails was written just to be conversations. It wasn't written expressly to be funny. There were funny moments. Sure. Um, and it wasn't written expressly to like get the tears rolling. So it, it, I was okay with having like a mostly silent audience with occasional laughs. Um, so it wasn't that bad for me. But hearing a lot of the dialogue that I had written had me... Get, you know, had so many moments of like, why did I write that? That was so dumb. Or like, why did I let that happen on set? Or, or like, a decision was made along the way that I'm like, well, I'm not doing that on the next film. <laughs> so, it, it again, it was a definitely a learning experience of like, you know, I'm kind of taking mental notes of like, do's and don'ts for next time. Um, but I, when it comes down to it, I was surprised at how many people were super supportive mm. and like came to me after and was like, yeah, I had a great time. I'm like, really? I thought everyone was going to be bored to tears and hate it. Um, so it was it was definitely a validating experience, and it was 
so heartwarming to see who actually came out for it. It was a fascinating experience screening the film because it almost, in my mind, it almost felt like a second wedding because my, you know, my wedding to my wife, Hannah, was like all the people who I love and who want to support me coming together to celebrate us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was going to be the kind of the center of attention and, and get up in front of everybody and, and say some words. And so yeah. that's kind of the mindset that I had going into the film premiere is like I was inviting a lot of people who love me and, and care about me and you know it's going to be just kind of the center of attention so that's what it felt like and my wedding to hannah was pretty much the best day of my life or one of the best days of my life and uh, the film premiere didn't quite compare but it but it, it got yeah. up there it was top, up top there five sure. maybe yeah, top five. <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely very very validating dream come true and uh no matter how little or how much I'm going to do in the rest of my career, I'll remember that experience for the rest of my life. A Thousand Meals with a Thousand Artists is a project of Soul One Arts, Inc. Produced and edited by me, Mike Shepard. Original music by Savannah Shea. Thank you to this week's artists and the local restaurants who host us. For more on A Thousand Meals with a Thousand Artists and Soul One, please visit soulonearts.ca. If you're an artist, feel free to reach out to us on our website and connect for your own meal. Thank you for listening.